Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, sometimes winding conversations of Frontier Church, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. Last week, we started a new sermon series called Flourish in the Chaos, about integrating the spiritual practices into your life. Now, this was a big step for our local church because it was the tipping point for us to begin integrating the practices into our vision as a church. In this podcast, we're going to answer a few questions that went unanswered in the Q&A about the spiritual practices. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this podcast helps you worship local. I'm Cole, I'm lead pastor at Frontier, and I'm here with... I am Andrew, I am a, another one of the pastors at Frontier Church. Um, so dude, flourish in the chaos, spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines. Um, what'd you think about the graphic that Etheridge made for oh, this? You know I love that sort of stuff. That that's One, I love Etheridge's artwork in general, but that sti- the style, I don't even know how to ex- describe what type of art that is or what he, tools he used, but it's awesome, man. <laughs> Isn't I love it that. sick, dude? I love that. I you know, I thought about doing it myself. <laughs> I could guess, yeah. <laughs> but but the more and more we've been processing over these last, I don't know, six to nine months, like just you and me and the leadership team, the more that we've been processing what role we want the spiritual practices to take shape in our local church, the more I realized that we needed an illustration that was also a tool, mm-hmm. like like a, a helpful tool that people could kind of have in their minds, and, and it would teach them about the spiritual... Pr- I wanted them to have a tool, man, like something you could write down on a napkin. Yeah. I think this is a good time to tell everyone in Frontier that they're going to have to get that tattooed on their arm. <laughs> right, dude? <laughs> I bet... I bet... I bet Chad would get it tattooed. I could see that. I mean... If I wanted to get a tattoo, that would be a dope one to get tattooed. Right, dude. I'm just too cheap to put ink in my skin. Did, did you know that? Did you know that Chad is thinking about getting the Frontier Lantern? That does not tattooed? surprise me. Isn't that sweet? He's just gonna roll up in a muscle shirt one Sunday to help set up, and just got a big old lantern on his arm. <laughs> right, dude. Oh, what if he got it on his bicep and like when he flexed, it shines. Oh, that'd be awesome. Something like that. Yeah, you know? that would be cool. But he also talked about getting the the Jonah graphic tattoo. The Jonah you remember that one, awesome. the whale. Yeah, that one was awesome too. Do you do you have any takeaways from just looking at the graphic? Like you don't need my oh shoot, my phone just died. Uh oh. Um, do you do you have any takeaways from looking at it? Like you can see pretty clearly the Jonah, Ezekiel, and Storm kind of kind of layers, right? Yeah, I'm pulling it up. Um... Yeah, I, you know we've we've had so many conversations about um, the chaos that we find ourselves in, um, mm-hmm. you know, culturally, socially, politically, um, and I don't think anyone would. If you were to ask ten people in the street, I don't think there would be a single person who said, "Yeah, there's no chaos in the world right now." Right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And so as we've had conversations and have uh, been pastoring and, and leading the church, we've we've wanted to say that you can flourish in the chaos and that Jesus is the way to flourishing in the chaos and acting in the ways that Jesus acts acted and acts um, is the way that we do that. So we, we use these spiritual practices to help us to flourish in these, in those, the moments of chaos. Yeah. So I really wanted, I really wanted Etheridge to capture in the illustration how these five practices serve as an antidote to the Mm -hmm. chaos to, to steal Peterson's subtitle to his book. Um, I wanted I wanted our church to have a visual illustration for how these five practices form a barrier between you and the chaos. Because I, I want people to see the spiritual practices as, and this is in the subtitle of our sermon series, but as a way of cultivating a life where you can actually respond to the Spirit rather than just reacting to the chaos on a day-to-day basis. Uh-huh. So you see Jonah imagery at the bottom of it, the whale, you know, that's that's biblical imagery for chaos. You see Ezekiel's valley of dry bones, you see the storm up, so you see all this biblical imagery, and um, with our practices, you see a visual representation for scripture, solitude, Sabbath, self-denial in the seasons, but also, did you see the flowers in, in mm-hmm. there too? So it's based off of, I mean, it's, it's kind of stolen from like Luther's rose, uh-huh. but it's the idea of like forming Eden within chaos, flourishing in the chaos. So I wanted that type of illustration. I think he nailed it, dude. Oh, he did. I love that. I missed that dude so much. Me too. Me too. Eden in the chaos. That would have been a sweet. Oh, that would have been good. Sermon yeah, series name too. Oh, man. 
Uh, any so we got five questions that we want to answer from our church that went unanswered in the sermon because Lord knows we didn't have more time to preach a longer <laughs> sermon. Um, before we hit those questions, it, like any surprises, any takeaways for you from our first week doing spiritual practices sermon series? Um, I don't know about surprises necessarily. You know the the forms of these. Uh, sermons for the practices we've talked about are they're going to look different than the normal uh, preaching form that that uh, we love and celebrate and and do in Frontier Church. So I was one of the, one maybe surprised was um, seeing you up there getting more of your your teaching hat on. Um, yeah. So English so that, teacher. Did. Yeah. So that was cool um, to see that. But then, yeah, man, our our church has reacted just off of one week has reacted really strongly um, uh, to embarking on this journey. There's yeah, tons of questions, as we've already mentioned, about how are we going to do this? Why are we doing this? But there seems to be a buzz about um, our, our church family, because I think everyone knows, because they know about all the chaos. They know that there's there's got to be a way to flourish in that chaos. Yeah, yeah. And we've, with these spiritual practices, we've been highlighting them in certain pockets of Frontier Church's philosophy of ministry, uh, but now we're kind of collecting them all into one body of work that we can point to. And say this is what we do together as a church to flourish in chaos. It's it's been a lot of work. It's like it's been a lot of personal studying from yeah, me. Yeah, you've been and doing this for a long time. It's been a lot of conversation too at the elder level too. Mm-hmm. Um, because like like I said in in the sermon on Sunday, we're not changing our vision as a church, but we are deepening it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't like we just don't take that we don't take that lightly as a church. Yeah. And so there's been a lot of studying and preparation that's gone that's gone into this sermon series, and we thought really critically about whether or not the church at a corporate level has the responsibility of providing spiritual practices at a communal level. Mm-hmm. Um, or to, again, again, to use Calvin's analogy from the sermon on Sunday, is should the church actually function like a gymnasium? Mm-hmm. And we think, yeah, yeah, we, it should, yeah, it should. Yeah, so I'm really excited to do that um, together as a as a church family of working out things and yeah, growing. Because you know, a, a lot of people will ask the question like, if you're you know you're visiting your some family member and they go to a church and you're like, well, what's your what's your church do? What's your church about? And some people will have a you know well articulated uh, mission of what oh, this is what my pastors say that we do. But I think mm-hmm. this this definitely gives our church. Uh, some handles to be like, if someone asks a member of Frontier Church, what's your church do? What's your church about? Our church can answer. We do these things together for the jo- for the glory of Jesus and for the joy of Des Moines. Yeah. So I'm really excited for that. Yeah, yeah, I am too. And I, I don't know exactly how I feel about it, but lately I have felt, um, I, I think that we could even phase the spiritual disciplines into our church more. Mm-hmm. Like phase one, just looking at these five spiritual disciplines. Um but I would love to, maybe in a year or maybe in two years, doing like a phase two of the spiritual practices where we take all of our five spiritual practices and we break them up into their various subcomponents. Mm-hmm. So imagine looking at the graphic and looking at the solitude. Imagine another ring around those praying hands and then seeing three different subcomponents of listening prayer, spoken prayer, contemplative prayer, but just continuing to break these into their various yeah. like subcomponent silence because uh-huh. all of these have various subcomponents underneath them right um but w- but we we would need to phase that yeah is what i'm saying yeah we don't want to overload people right out the gate <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's too much information <laughs> okay q a Sup- surprising by the way the responses we got to the q a yeah good work frontier church wow i think the total was 41 responses to this thing which is awesome that was the most questions we've received and also the quickest response time we've ever received. So good good on you guys. Amazing. I think we had like 36 to 38 total questions. Um, so here are five additional ones that we didn't have time for in Sunday's sermon. And again, this isn't going to answer all of them. So if your question doesn't get answered, we're sorry, but we're kind of lumping them together in some of the bigger questions. Mm-hmm. So let's just start with, I like this question to start out with because it's far reaching and far wide in what it seeks to have answered. Here's question one. How important are the spiritual practices to my spiritual health? How would you how would you answer that, dude? I would say I, I, I like the the wording of of that question. Me too. Um, because I so you as a 
as a human being, you have a body, you have a mind, you have a soul, and there are things that you need to do to keeping yourself healthy, right? Just like anybody who cares about their health, uh, you may work out, uh, you might watch your eating, you may, you're trying to get eight hours of sleep at night, you're trying not to watch too much TV late in the day so it messes up your, your uh, circadian rhythms. You're, you're doing all these things to keep yourself healthy. So if that's true for your physical body, then how much then how true is it for your your soul for your spiritual life not just your physical life but your spiritual life um so we we see Jesus um practicing these things we see him meditating on scripture and ba- battling sin and temptation with scripture we see him withdrawing from the crowd to to be in solitude and to pray and to commune with the father we see him yep. fasting we see him do these things yep. so <clears throat> it's you know it can be it can easily be seen as a um a simple question, but I think there's a lot in that question of, if I'm already saved, why do I need to do these things? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, you know, in Second Peter, Peter says, God has given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. So well, if I've already been <clears throat> given that, then why do I need to read the scriptures and meditate on the scriptures? Why do I need to pray? Why isn't that important? Um, and so it's just, you know, it, you... I don't know why this is. Maybe it's the works of the of the Satan. But um, if if really simplistically, if you want to be a healthy person um, physically, then you and you eat well. Why do we not think that way when it comes to our spiritual life? That's exactly right, dude. Yeah, it, we were. I mean, we were talking about this before we hit we hit record on the podcast. But legalism is bad, and I don't want to justify that in any way. But it seems like Protestant Christians are more afraid of legalism than they are afraid of hell. Yeah. Um, and when, when you ask a question like, so I think the question, how important are they to my spiritual health is a great question. Let's rephrase it a little bit so we can kind of keep poking at it. Imagine that the person asked the question, do I have to do the spiritual dis- disciplines to be a Christian? Mm-hmm. The technical answer would be no. We believe that people are made Christians, saved by Jesus, by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Um, but that question, do I have to do this in order to be a, a Christian? We can also deconstruct that question a little bit. It would be like asking the question, can I eat a chainsaw and still be a Christian? <laughs> yeah, that would be stupid, though. Yeah, You can do a lot of stupid things and still be a Christian. Doesn't mean that you should be, but it does mean what you're poking at. It does mean that there is more to the Christian life than simply checking off the necessary boxes to be saved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you think of you know, Jesus talking about him being the vine dresser and the true followers are the ones who abide in him, um, those who do not abide in Christ get removed and thrown out. But the the ones who do, in fact, abide in him, they get pruned. And that's not an easy process. So if you think of it as you are, a, if you, in fact, have given your allegiance to Jesus, you believe in him, you trust in his life, death, and resurrection and ascension, that that believing in that alone um, brings you into God's family, brings you into abiding in Christ, then you ought to have a desire to to become like Christ, to be conformed into His image. Um, yeah, yeah. Just like if you're a part of any family, it's like, well, my family, we are Hawkeye fans in this household. Yes, we are. So you grow up, you... In this church. We'll see how their season goes this year. I might have to shift my allegiance from Tennessee to the Hawkeyes. Atta boy, dude, it's their uh, their opener this weekend. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, but anyway, uh, so if you are a part of God's family, then you're going to have certain inclinations. And um, we've been given His Spirit, and He's renewing the thoughts of our mind. And so I, I think that... If you don't have a desire, and I'm, I'm not saying just like in a specific season, but in the totality of your um, walking with Christ, if you feel like there's not a desire to read the scriptures, to pray, um, to to meditate, to fast, to be in, to go into solitude, I, I would just want you to do some diagnostics and, mm-hmm. and, and ask yourself, why don't I have this desire? Now, there's definitely seasons where that happens. Like I, you know, coming out of a season of that of like. Uh, I was talking with with Chad this morning, actually, of, of about um, I've never once doubted my salvation, but there have been seasons of my life where if Jesus was sitting across the table from me, would I be excited to talk with him? Oh, that's a good diagnostic question. And like, there have been seasons where I would, you know, if he was sitting across the table from me, I'd be like, "Hey, man, that's cool. Let me get back to some work here on my laptop. Uh, glad you're here, but 
you know, do, do my, am I wanting to ask him questions and listen to his voice yeah, and, and yeah. hear him talk to me about life and about how love and about um, how to care for others. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I process that. And so me dedicating myself to spiritual disciplines and the spiritual practices, that makes me love Jesus more. It yeah, gets me to yeah. Jesus. Yeah, totally. I think, yeah, I think that's really good. As I was thinking about this question about how important are they to my spiritual health, there were, there were two analogies that came to mind that I've picked up in my studies over this last year. So I'm going to drop both of those analogies. But I think we're both saying a similar thing, which is don't view these, don't view these as a means to convince Jesus to save you, mm-hmm. but also don't view these as a magic diet pill. Like it's not going to like, it's not going to be a lightning bolt for your sanctification. It's going to begin to conform your life to what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. So here's two analogies that I like in order to make sense of the spiritual practices. The first is the analogy of a slot machine. So um, this is awesome. The Atlantic ran an article a while back that pointed out that slot machines make more money annually than the film industry and baseball combined. That's crazy. Do you know that? No, that's not surprising. (laughs) That's crazy, dude. Yeah, I mean, even though they only take a few quarters at a time. And the reason why this is the case is obviously because slot machines are addictive. And the other component of it is that the small quarters feel inconsequential in the moment. Mm. But they add up. So, like, think of your iPhone as a slot machine. It's just a few minutes here and there. Um, but then you get the screen time analysis at the end of the week. Do you get that? Yeah, every Sunday morning. Where it's like, you spent two hours. You're like, what? Two hours a day? <laughs> it adds up, right? So think of your life as a slot machine. The spiritual practices, they're really only going to be like putting in a couple quarters at a time. But it's going to add up to be more consequential than the film industry and baseball combined. Mm, that's so that's good. a great analogy. Yeah, that is really helpful. That comes from John Mark Comer's book, um, the ruthless elimination of hurry. Here's here's the second one. Um, think of your life. Think of the spiritual practices, kind of like um, as a golden lattice. So in 1894, there was a self improvement writer, and in one of his books, he wrote a chapter called "Possibilities and Spare Moments." There's a great quote from this. He, this he's, dude French. What's up? Was, he, was this guy French? No, he wasn't. Oh, okay. Do you, is there a French dude who? No, I just sound something like a French guy would say. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So here's Sorry. the here's the quote. <laughs> he says, "On the floor of the gold working room in the United States Mint at Philadelphia, there's a wooden lattice work. So, sorry, wooden lattice. There's a wooden lattice work which is taken up when the floor is swept, and the fine particles of gold dust, which is thousands of dollars yearly, which would translate now into like millions of dollars yearly, are saved." So he goes on to say, every successful man has a kind of network to catch the pairings of existence, the leavings of days and wee bits of hours, which most people just sweep into the waste of life. He hoards and turns to account all odd minutes, half hours, gaps between times, and chasms of waiting. And he achieves results which astonish those who have not mastered this most valuable secret. So here's, here's what he's saying. That lattice on the floor gathers up teeny tiny particles and shavings of gold that weren't even worth saving at the time. But over the course of a year, it gathers so many shavings of gold that it eventually adds up to millions of dollars worth of gold. So I would say, think of the spiritual practices as a wooden lattice, a structure that helps you gather the teeny tiny shavings of times day to day so that at the end of the year you're a spiritual millionaire. So, so I was it's <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's, it's lattice. Oh my gosh, is it really? Yeah. I was trying to figure out. Are you sure? Yeah. I mean, less I mean, Oh my gosh. Sorry, I just wanted to like a wooden lattice. I need to. I need. I need to. Say, I feel like I've heard Let's people Google. say Latisse. Okay, maybe that. Maybe that's. Maybe that's just my southern blood coming out. I've just. I was trying to. That's why I asked if it was a French dude because I was <laughs> like. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Let's listen to dictionary.com real quick. See if we can hear it. See if our listeners can hear it. Latisse. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> This, so this is the curse of being a reader. 
is that you read words that you haven't necessarily heard in casual conversation, and they get embedded into your life as Latisse. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to bring it up. What do you before. want in your salad? Some some tomato, some lettuce. Okay, I just wanted to bring it up lattice. so people didn't roast you on Sunday. Oh no! Okay, okay. Well, I, it's still I get what you're think. Think of the spiritual practices like a wooden lattice. Thanks for digging me yeah. out of that hole. No, dude, I've, well, I've never <laughs> I've never heard of that um, illustration, but it's that's really that is another helpful way to think about it. Those those grooves of life that things get collected in. And they seem just like little particles, um, but if you sweep them up over 365 days, there's a ton of value and ton of worth in there. Yeah. So, like, what what if you engaged in solitude so regularly that when you had two minutes of waiting in line, your natural impulse was to just meditate on the Lord mm-hmm. rather than look at your phone? Yeah. To you know have those spiritual practices to form that lattice so that all the gold particles go in there rather than to your phone or to anxiety or to browsing or whatever. You get it. Yeah. I, I've got out of this practice, but I'm talking about this and getting, you know, into the sermon series. I used to carry like a little filled notes journal in the back of my pocket. And if I was show, I would show up to a meeting a couple minutes early. And if that person didn't show up early as well, I would just sit there and write down a, a quick prayer in that journal for that person I was about to meet with or something that I was thinking on and wrestling with. Um, so now I've got a couple of good illustrations for what I had been doing. That makes me want to get back into that practice of just taking those little little spare moments and giving them to the Lord rather than to Instagram or to my email. Yeah, that's great, dude. Um, John Mark Comer, in his book on the spiritual disciplines, he has a chapter where he gives he gives fifteen ways of slowing down, and uh, they're they're great. Like one of them is drive the speed limit. That's a good one. Right. Another one is get into the slow lane. Um, come to a full stop at stop signs. <laughs> Show up ten minutes early for an appointment. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like all these yeah. examples because they're super practical and you can implement them really easy. Or yeah. like you said, like write down a prayer when you have a little spare time. Let's yeah, go. there's this pastor that I follow on Instagram, and he uh, drives like three miles an hour under the speed limit. Everywhere he goes, because really? it creates moments. So he calculates how long it's going to take him to get somewhere to adjust for the slower traveling speed. But he does it just to slow his life down and to cause him to, you know, reflect as he's driving and to be more prayerful. So I thought that was cool. I'm not going to do that, but I think that was cool. You know, there was a there was a Japanese theologian. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he wrote a book called The Three Mile an Hour God, and goes on to say that I mean the premise of the book is that. Love has a speed limit, and the slower you're going, the more capable you are of loving people, and that's why God moves and works oftentimes throughout history so slowly. Hmm. He goes on to say, like, all of our worst moments are when we're driving 100 miles an hour. We can't love people if we're rushing from appointment to appointment and going, you know, you get it. That's good. Yeah, he says, um, yeah, 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 he says, slow is the Lord of all speeds. Hmm. It, yeah, it's good stuff, man. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Um, anything else you want to say on that question? Um, how important are they to my spiritual health? I think, I, I think I'm good on that one. I think, I would also say this, we, we obviously believe that they're important, otherwise we wouldn't take time integrating these things into the vision of our church. Yeah. Um, but it, there are going to be people in our church who are going to struggle with them. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not oblivious to that. And there are going to be people in our church who, for seasons and for good reasons, will have to opt out of some of these spiritual disciplines. And you need to know that if you struggle to keep up with these and struggle to implement them into your life, that is okay. And you still belong at our church, and we love you. Yeah, because just as we said earlier with the legalism piece, if these practices don't get you into salvation, dropping the ball uh, two days in one week is not going to get you out of heaven. Bingo. Yeah, dude. It's not going to get you out of your salvation. So be encouraged in that. Here's another question. Are the spiritual disciplines conducive to a spirit-filled life? Sorry, my kids are wiling upstairs. That's Russell. <laughs> Running around right He's now. He's got his boots on. Yes, he does. Yeah, that's, I, so that's an interesting question. I'm wondering if the 
person who asked that question if the subtext is if I create a routine and a regiment with four spiritual disciplines, is that going to quench the organic, spontaneous movement of the Holy Spirit. Why do people think that way? I think I think that's a right diagnosis of the way a lot of modern Christians think. Yeah, it's probably just postmodernism's hook still in us. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's part of it. You you can't have uh, structures or hierarchies, or uh, you can't you can't be too organized, or you're going to miss out on the true essence of something. So I think that's part of it. Uh, <laughs> Lattice. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I was trying to figure out what you were talking about. And then I pulled up Google and I was like, oh, he's talking about lattice. Uh, I'm sorry. You were making actually a valuable contribution to the podcast. Sorry for cutting off there. No, I like those little moments. We slow down for those moments. Three miles an hour. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I think part of it is our, our culture. I think, I think with, People have been so let down by institutions that we've carried that over into every nook and cranny of our life. And so, and maybe some of it is people growing up in legalistic churches where you had to do everything. I mean, as a kid, I did Bible drill. So like, you know, I learned how to turn to books of the Bible really fast and I would get, you know, trophies if I could turn to a book of the Bible in less than three seconds, stuff like that. That's so weird, dude. And so I got the trophies to prove it, dude. Wow. Um, Dude, can you upload them? Like, can you take a picture of these things and send them to yeah, me? Yeah, they're in a box in my basement. Okay, with all okay. my uh, church relics. Dude, I got to see these. We'll make it. Well, we'll make it our new branding for a church. Yep. I almost was a state champion, but dang, didn't, didn't get that sub three second time. Anyway, um, so I think people who grew up in that sort of environment and then maybe went to a little more of a of a charismatic or lingering environment felt some freedom there, and so any sniff of. Uh, liturgy or order mm-hmm. of service or predictability, they, they interpret that as you guys don't care about how the, the spontaneous movement of the Holy Spirit. And I would say um, that's that's not why we structure our Sunday gatherings, and that's not why we are pushing these um, pushing our church to move in the direction of implementing these practices. It's not because we devalue the spontaneous movement of the Spirit. Um, so one way I think about it is a cluttered table. And you just got a, clu- a cluttered table. You can't sit down and have dinner at it because there's stuff everywhere. You can't work at it. You can't read books with your kids at this table. You can't host people at this table. And so you got to remove some of the clutter so you can make room for that spontaneous, that neighbor spontaneously dropping in to have dinner with you. So mm-hmm. you can make room for that uh, that spontaneous book reading session with your child. You've got to make room. You've got to order out things and structure things in your life to create margin for that. If you're just walking through life and you never schedule anything out with your work week, man, you're, you're going to let people down. You're going to miss meetings. You're going to show up late to meetings. You're not going to turn in your assignments on time. And that has just removed any chance of spontaneity mm-hmm. because it's, you're going to be interpreting it through a grid of chaos. Um so I would say being regimented, working out, you know, being getting in the gym um, with the spiritual yeah, disciplines, yeah, that's going to help you to in, properly experience and interpret those, those spontaneous moments for you to identify spiritual gifts or a word from the Lord or a word from a, a, a word from the Lord that a brother or sister gives you. It's going to help yeah, properly yeah. orient your heart and your mind to experience those moments as you should. Yeah, yeah. Um, this seems like a great moment for me to go speak with uh, Team Dikey family about <laughs> jumping around upstairs. So listeners, take this moment as an opportunity <laughs> to integrate the spiritual practice of solitude into your life real quickly. Yes. Give me one sec. Okay, okay, I'm back. Um, So we're exploring the question of, are the spiritual disciplines conducive to a spirit-filled life? Um, I really like this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, when we carry out our religious duties, and for the sake of this conversation, I would just say replace that with spiritual practices or Mm -hmm. spiritual disciplines. When we carry out our spiritual disciplines, we are like people digging channels in a waterless land. 
in order that when at last water comes, it may find them ready. Mm-hmm. That's a great image. Like, imagine the spiritual disciplines as a way of even when it's not raining, right? It, it, life feels spiritually dry. You're mm-hmm. out in the desert. You're with Ezekiel in the, the Valley of Dry Bones. Dig ditches mm-hmm. so that when the water does come, it has a place to go and fill, you know, dig holes and pray for the rain to come. I think that's what the spiritual disciplines do is they create space for the Holy Spirit to rush into your life and to fill you um, in a way that, and again, I, I think that the 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 velus and the tron or the the trellis and the vine from Sunday is a, a great metaphor. Yeah, like the you build that trellis not for the sake of the trellis, but so the vine can grow in all types of crazy and spontaneous directions. But without any sort of trellis, the vine just kind of lays on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, so spiritual disciplines do not exist in and of and for themselves. They exist so that your relationship with the Holy Spirit has a place to grow and flourish and thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just I mean like Noah building the ark. Like God says, hey, it's going to rain, it's going to flood, you need to build this ark. So he is devoting himself to the practice of building this ark so that when the chaos comes, he will be able to to survive that and fulfill his, his role in God um, repopulating the earth and continuing humanity. Um, so yeah, I, do that C.S. Lewis illustration is really helpful of if you don't and then the rain comes, then you're just going to get, fl- it's going to flood and the water's not mm-hmm. going to have a value. Um, so yeah, whenever you're, you know, we went through our Holy Spirit sermon series and now we're doing these, the, the practices sermon series. Um, so it's, hey, read the scriptures so that you can properly understand this movement that, of the Holy Spirit that we see in our church. Hey, man, pray and spend time in solitude. So you, you're not forcing your agenda on God, but God is able to reveal to you what he is wanting to accomplish with your life. So I think it's just a helpful, a helpful way of like, if I, if I want to be, if I want to know my wife better, if I want to, you know, be able to get to a point where we can, when our kids are out of diapers, um, go on a spontaneous date, I want my wife to go on a spontaneous date with me. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. ask her questions. We're going to yeah. talk about things. We're going to enjoy regimented moments right now. We've got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and almost two-month-old. If I want to create time with my wife right now, we have to put the kids to bed at a certain time. She feeds Abel mm-hmm. at a certain time, and we carve out an hour and a half a day right now that we just get to ourselves. And so that will that hour and a half that we're spending right now is going to make date night whenever we can leave the kids with grandparents or babysitter is going to make that date night even better because we've been we've been putting in that work towards we don't get to a date night and be like well so how has the past four months been for you Mm -hmm. we get to enjoy that moment um and so i think the same thing is what is true with our relationship with with um with christ as we're putting in these regimented moments so that whenever that sweet spontaneous moment where we're at church on sunday and the song comes in it's like oh my goodness this is this song, the Holy Spirit's using this song and these biblical truths embedded in the song to impact me greatly right now. Or that moment in the sermon where something clicks for you for the first time because you were in your Bible reading plan, you were not really understanding this, and the preacher mentioned something from the Old Testament that applies to what you were confused about in the New Testament. And you're thinking, oh, I wouldn't have missed that if I hadn't devoted myself to reading the scriptures. Yeah, totally, man. Um, there was a, a Jewish theologian, I think you probably know the quote. I can't remember the dude's name, but he said, the man who Sabbaths one day a week lives all seven days differently. That's good. So if, 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 you, if you practice the spiritual practices, you actually become the type of person who can have a spontaneous relationship with the Lord. Um, but our, our nature is, like the Bible teaches, a sinful nature. Mm-hmm. And so spontaneously, we don't just naturally explode with a vibrant life for God. No. We have to, like Paul says, train ourselves. For godliness, I like I like the Noah analogy a lot. Noah and the Ark. I like the family analogy a lot. Another one that comes to my mind is um, just the way that I sermon prep. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, when <laughs> That's I a great example, yeah, when I sermon prep, I spend twelve hours a week on sermons. Like, I work really, really hard. I try to study some of the best theologians. I write out word for word, even comma for comma, my entire sermon. Mm-hmm. And so when I go up there on Sundays, I've got an entire manuscript that's locked and loaded. 
And yet I, I only hit like 70 to 90% of the manuscript because what that does is the work that I put in throughout the week actually tunes me in to being able to respond to the Holy Spirit in the moment and provide value and meaningful value in those moments rather than just saying whatever the first thing that comes to mind is. Uh-huh. But the way I explain this to other preachers is I, I trust the Lord enough to write my sermon six days out of the week, and I also trust him enough to change it on Sunday morning if that's what he wants to do. The amount of times I've seen you come out of the Holy of Holies and praying over your sermon manuscript and for our church and they come back and there's X's all over <laughs> paragraphs. I mean, I think that's, yeah, you, yeah, the Lord has really gifted you to do that because you've disciplined yourself and trained yourself to be someone who doesn't just get up to talk to a group of people, but you view that sermon prep time as I'm cooking the meal. That's right. Yeah. And um, when I get up to preach it, I want to be able to, oh, this needs a little bit more salt or, oh, I want to get some bread that goes really well with this soup. And you've been studying the ingredients all week long, and so on Sunday mornings, you can make additions or subtractions when you need to to feed the the people of Frontier Church. Yeah, man. So, yeah, that just came to mind. I thought that was a helpful way of understanding yin and yang. Yeah. You don't train your kids to sleep, then they're going to be sleeping in the bed with you until they're 13, right? Yeah, that's crazy. So you have to do the hard work so that you can have a child that you enjoy living with whenever they get older. Um, so it's, just, it's true in all areas of life. So yeah, I just, I, I really am curious why in my own life or in the life of other Christians, why we apply something to one area of our life, but not to the other. Yeah, I, I, I'm really I confused by that. Yeah. I think it's just painful to be consistent. It is. I think it's good and soul deepening and soul enriching in the long haul. But if you actually want to be consistent in your life all across the board, you're gonna it's it's gonna be painful in mm-hmm. a good way. Stretching. Yes. Um, here's a third question. It's kind of related to that last one. Do spiritual practices help us gain understanding of our spiritual gifts? And if so, how? How would you how would you answer that question? Yeah, I think I I think I may have partially answered that, but more. Yeah, you, you hinted at yeah, it. Yeah, more clearly. Um, so, with with spiritual gifts, we see what spiritual gifts are in the scriptures, right? So, one, if you are not devoting yourself to the reading of scriptures, you're going to be oblivious to the the gifts that the Holy Spirit actually gives and grants. Um, so, so devoting yourself to scripture, it, it creates a moment for you to know. Okay, here are, here are the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given the church to build up the church. Right. So, okay. So here they are. Okay. So how do I know if I have the gift of, of prophecy or the gift of giving an encouraging word or the gift of discernment? Well, you, you're devoting yourself to spiritual disciplines and practices to create a set of glasses for you to view these things. You're creating an environment, um, a proving ground for those gifts. So if I know, oh man, I, I've been reading about discernment and what that is and how that's a spiritual gift. Um, I've been praying for God to to give me eyes to see, is there someone in our church that I think has the gift of discernment? Um, and so in my time in solitude, in my time of listening prayer, I feel like the Lord has said, this brother or this sister has been given the gift of discernment to build up the church. Yeah, You practicing yeah. yourself, you you, you dis, um, disciplining yourself to the spiritual practices will help you to, to see uh, that those gifts in other people. Um, yes. So I think that's, I think that's really helpful. Um, cause I, man, if you're, if you're not, um, disciplining yourself for godliness, then how are you going to see the godliness in others? Um, if you're not disciplining yourself for godliness, how are you going to know if, whether or not you have a gift? That's exactly right. So Cal Newport has a book called Deep work. He's not a Christian. It's not a Christian book. It's still a fantastic book. But the the premise of the book is what he calls his deep work hypothesis. And the hypothesis is the hypothesis or his guess that as the world becomes more superficial and deep work becomes rare, deep work is going to become more valuable. Mm. So the more rare something is, the more valuable it becomes to transforming the world. I would say, like, yeah, let's have a deep Christian hypothesis for our church. The more and more spirituality becomes more superficial, the more rare it's going to be to encounter people with deep spirituality. And so the desperate need for Des Moines and the desperate need for Frontier Church is deep Christians. That's good. Because like you're saying, like, um, 
the 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 spiritual practices will transform us into the type of people who can discern the spiritual gifting of other people. So we we said in our sermon on 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 um on the spiritual gifts, we said, hey, one of the one of the best ways to figure out um what your spiritual gift is is to love the church. Mm-hmm. And as you love the church and see more needs in the church, you actually see your your spiritual giftings come out and you, you start to see how the Lord actually has gifted you. And so we need those outs, like we need eyes on us. Yes. And we need deep eyes on deep Christians who can look at us and actually discern things that superficial Christians can't. Mm-hmm. And so I really do think that there's a there's a direct relationship between the spiritual disciplines and the spiritual gifts. Those are not at odds with one another. Yeah, I mean, if you, putting gathering with with the church um, on the Lord's Day, if if that's a spiritual discipline, because I mean, we've got three kids now, and it was hard work for me to go home and help Tracy bring the kids to church and keep them, you know, relatively quiet. That's it was hard work, so I understand how hard it is to get to church. But if you're not gathering with your family, um, you're not going to be able to see how they're doing. You're not going to be able to see where they're growing. You know, if you've mm-hmm. if you've got a, a really close friend that you'd spend a little time talking to or getting coffee with or, you know, watching movies with, you, you're not going to know if they're flourishing or not. You're not going to know if they've grown in a certain area. So that's, yeah, one example of being with your family and loving your family helps you to identify where your family is gifted at. Um, so and that's, it's a discipline to spend time, to ask questions, to pray for, to gather with your family. Um, so, yeah, I, there is a – they are – they are linked together inherently, I would say. Here's the fourth question. I like this one. So one of our five disciplines is the seasons, which is shorthand for conforming your life to the liturgical calendar um, so that you can see God in the seasons and in nature. So here's a question that's directly aimed at that discipline. Why is it important to structure your calendar around the life of Christ? This is going to get interesting. Yeah. This is where I th- feel like we're out of our depths and need to study a lot more. But I think I think we can answer this, though. Yeah, I can give you my opinion on this, um, and not just cop out and be like, "Well, because Jesus structured his life around the calendar of God." But all right, question five. <laughs> <laughs> but so just and this is this goes back again to what I was saying earlier. Why do we apply one thing to one area of our life but not to the other? So we all like we are forced by the federal government to to, you know, bend our calendar around their calendar and federal holidays, mm. right? If, you know, a holiday comes up, I can't send a piece of mail on that day that the post office is taking off from work. So we we naturally bend our calendars around other institutions and government's calendars. We do this with our kids. We, you know, our, our kids have their birthdays coming up. They have Christmas coming up. And so we bend our finances and we bend our time around those distinct and important holidays. And what, what we are doing with that is creating structures and habits. And um, we're forming ourselves around those, those reminders on our calendars. Right? You do this every day with your work schedule, with your family time schedule, with dating your girlfriend, spending time with people in your community group. You, you structure your things around other schedules that, that are given to you or imposed on you or you choose to do. Um, and so what, what that does, whenever I prioritize Wednesday night for community group, I'm mm-hmm. creating in my life and I'm prioritizing this group of people so that I can love those people. It's teaching me to prioritize them, right? Whenever you and I meet on at 10 o'clock on Tuesday mornings, I am prioritizing our work for the good of Frontier Church. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's creating certain habits in me. That's making me not take, you know, last week I showed up 10 minutes late because I had scheduled a meeting uh, too close together. Um, and so I felt like I felt like I was letting you down by wasting 10 minutes of your of your time waiting for me. <laughs> no, you, so, you can <clears throat> show up 20 minutes late, friend. <laughs> um, but anyway, and so if we, if we... As followers of Jesus, as we you know try to orient our lives around the calendar of Christ, what we're doing is we're providing ourselves with liturgies throughout the year to remind us of certain aspects of Christ's life, of Christ's birth, of Christ's death, of Christ's resurrection, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're, yeah, we're doing yeah. those things to remind ourselves of the value of Christ, and it's not like it's going to make you... Um, let me choose my words carefully here. It's not like it's going to make you a better Christian... 
you're not going to get another. You're not going to get a you know a better seat at the table in heaven or a new creation. Um, but what you're going to get is you're going to experience more of Christ throughout the year. You're going to mm-hmm. you're going to cause yourself moments to pause as we spend four weeks in Advent. What are we doing? We're trying to create a longing for Christ to return again and to bring us into new creation. That's what we're doing. Yeah, 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 dude. Um, I I think you're I think you're money man, and I think that there are probably some Protestants who are squirming in their chair right now listening to us talk about the liturgical calendar so, yeah yeah let me just like let me just clear the air real quickly we're not going to be like celebrating saints days like every week so don't panic i'll, I'll get phase two yeah, yeah that's phase two i'll get more explicit as this question goes on um but so peter lightheart actually explains the liturgical calendar exactly like y- you did right there as as armor against the secular world here's here's this quote he says The church calendar has enormous pastoral value. It keeps our focus where it should be, on Jesus. And so a church that keeps the church calendar will run through the gospel story each year, and the gospel story will set the pattern for our times. So by following a church calendar, the church redeems time, claims it for Jesus, and inoculates us against conformity with the world by articulating our time Christianly, dude. It got me. That's Isn't good, great, dude. dude. I love that. I think, I think young adults desperately need a vision for deep Christianity beyond listening to sermons. Mm-hmm. I love sermons, yeah. dude. But it's got to be more than just a message. It has to be. I mean, you look at like <clears throat> God commanding His people to have these feasts and these parties for the Old Testament believers. And so it would make sense for this messianic movement of people who have just witnessed the resurrected Messiah, proving that, in fact, he was the Messiah. They're going to implement things in their calendar that was similar to what they experienced. They're like, okay, we understand the importance of of us not controlling our own calendar or being controlled by the calendar of Rome or being controlled mm-hmm. by the calendar of this pagan god. Um, but we worship and follow the risen Christ who's coming back for us again. So it would just make total sense for them to create this calendar to to remind them that they are not of the world. They're in yeah, it, but yeah. they're not of the world. They're of the kingdom of heaven. Um, did you know that the etymological roots for the word holiday is holy days? I didn't know that. I didn't. Somebody <laughs> dropped that on me the other day, and I was like, oh. And, and it reminded Another me of what you're saying. Days. Yeah, yeah, which is um, in the ancient world, whoever controlled the holidays whoever controlled the days that were set apart, whoever controlled um, whoever controlled the holy days, whoever controlled time, controlled meaning. Mm-hmm. What if we started seeing life like that? I, man, you just pull up your Google calendar and turn on the holidays notifications, and there is an agenda that's being pushed on you. I'm not, I'm not like trying to tell you that's wicked and delete Google calendar off your phone. I'm just saying there... You're just saying they get it. Yeah. And so should we. Hey, this was our president and he was born on this day. We want you to remind your we want you to be reminded of George Washington on this day. Hey, this is when Christopher Columbus discovered the new world. Uh or this is Indigenous People Day whenever the indigenous peoples were, you know, oppressed and all all this wickedness came about. Hey, this is whenever we remind ourselves of the soldiers who gave their lives for our, our freedom. Like they're 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 catechizing you with with holidays. Mhm. So if we can take that and redeem it and say, this is when we observe that Christ was betrayed, when he was punished and mocked and crucified and was put in the ground, that reminds us of the great sacrifice that Christ um, exhibited to to redeem us from the bondage of, of sin. Yeah. When we think yeah. about his ascension and his, res- his resurrection and ascension, it reminds us that he wasn't just some guy who was saying the same thing that other guys before him had said. He was actually yeah. the Christ. Yeah, dude. That catechizes us. Yeah. And um, we've been teasing our church for the last couple of years with this, too. And our church has loved it. Like, three years ago, we finally implemented the, the, the habit of Advent. Mm-hmm. And our church loves it. And now it's an annual thing. Yep. And so we even seeing, added on New Creation Sunday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> After dude. Advent, it really works so perfectly too it with does. with first day of the year. So our, our church already loves that stuff. And so as leaders, we're like, "Oh, God is doing something there. Mm-hmm. Let's beef it up." Yeah, I you know, I never thought about implementing the liturgical calendar in our church until a couple of years ago. I was reading emotionally healthy spirituality, 
And he had this list of practices that shaped the Christian's life into deeper emotional health. And most of them were predictable things for a Protestant like me, mm-hmm. like love it, making time to love others and conforming our lives to the scriptures. But then I bumped into this one. He said, one thing that helps generate spiritual health in us is the mark of allowing our Christian lives to be shaped by the rhythms of the Christian calendar rather than the culture. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I starred that. And I wrote next to that, like, whoa, this is countercultural. I'd never thought of that as part of my discipleship before. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah. I think, what was it maybe like last year, whenever we were crafting out Advent, and I think you tossed out the question to the, the pastoral team of, would you ever see us adding on to the liturgical calendar? And I think all of us said, yeah, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. And then now as we've developed these these practices that we're rolling out to the church and getting and involving all of us into this community project, um, it's like, this just makes sense. This helps us. It creates more rhythms for us to implement in these, in these other practices. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. So, like, of course we want our people dialed into the scriptures and we want our people to be able to read the scriptures in such a way that they encounter God. Mm-hmm. But as you read the scriptures, you also see that the scripture begins to talk about the second book, the book of nature, as the Puritans called it. And so creation, even though it's not inerrant and it is fallen, and it doesn't have the same level of authority in our lives as Scripture does. But in a similar way, we're supposed to be able to train our minds to look out into the crunchy fall leaves mm-hmm. and to make sense of the nature of God out of that. Yes. And if we ditch the liturgical calendar, we'll create, we'll, we will disciple a bunch of book smart Christians who don't have any sort of street smarts. Yep. Who can't. Bunch of be, nerds. Bunch of nerds. No gospel <laughs> fluency out in creation. No. I mean, you. The God, we've, we talked about this, we exhausted it, uh, the Demons podcast, but then also in our Exodus sermon series, but but the Egyptians viewed morning and night as it was a catechism for them. Yeah. Our God yeah. has just descended to defeat the other gods. Oh, our God has just, he has resurrected from his victory over the other gods. They, they, were, they were catechized by the sun coming up and the sun going down. Mm-hmm. So seasons, yeah, play, the seasons... Like the seasons of of weather, the you know the sun getting going down later, the sun going down earlier than normal, like those things, it it provides distinction for us, and so we interpret the world like that. So, how can we use that to help us grow closer to to the Father, to experience the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit, and to be conformed into the image of Jesus? One note that I wrote down too was. And you've already said this, but the seasons, as we integrate them into the life of our local church, will not make us smarter in the same way that a good volume of systematic theology will. But it will help us become better actors in God's Mm, story. That's good. So I was reading, I was thinking about Calvin's famous metaphor when I wrote that down. He said that the world is a theater for the dazzling glory of God. Mm -hmm. So in Calvin's mind, and I I just argue the Bible's mind, the Bible sees existence as a play where God's the author and the main actor. And our main job here is to applaud him and praise him and cheer him and give him standing ovations. So for Calvin, that meant taking the psalm seriously when they say that the heavens declare the glory of God. So Calvin also went on to say on the same subject that he was convinced that, quote, there is no doubt that the Lord desires for us to be occupied in holy meditation, and we should not contemplate creation with a fleeting glance, but we should ponder it at length, turn it over in our minds seriously, and recollect it repeatedly. And part of this was rooted in the fact that Calvin thought that joy was mimetic, mm-hmm. right? So it's joy is not something that we just find intrinsically within ourselves, but it's mimetic. We, we obtain joy by seeing other people enjoy things. That's mm-hmm. how we learn to enjoy things. Yeah. Um, that's how we learn to be passionate about Jesus. We surround ourselves by people who are passionate about Jesus. And so um, Calvin, thinking that the chief task of existence is to enjoy God, knew that the chief task of nature was to enjoy God. So that's why Calvin thought that the trees spread their arms up to the heavens. And Calvin thought, well, that's why the birds sing. And that's why flowers reach upwardly. All of these are 
examples of how nature is constantly rejoicing in the glory of God. And so we we learn to rejoice in the Lord by paying careful attention to creation enjoying the Lord. That's good. That's why the Puritans called nature the school of God's children. That's good. Question five. You got anything else on that? Nope. Question five. What do disciplines look like as a family? I have enough trouble taking care of myself let alone those I'm responsible for. I feel like you'd have a good answer on this one. Yeah. Um, one, you are not alone in that. The, you know, the majority of our church, yeah. I, I think, uh, is learning how to do this. Like, you know, we created some rhythms and some habits with our two oldest kids, and then we had a third. Um, so, okay, well, what do we do now? <clears throat> and so, um, so I would just acknowledge that that it, it's a difficult. It's time-consuming. It's frustrating. Um, but I would say, here's here's a good starting point. I know some people say, I've got to have my own quiet time, and then I can do quiet time. I can do you know family devotional. If you're struggling to do both of those things um, in two different settings, I would say, one, roll them together. Do that with your kids. Maybe it's just you're, you read one psalm, or you read one narrative in one of the Gospels to your kids. And you mm-hmm. think about Jesus healing the lepers, and only one leper comes back. And you read that with your kids, and you ask them questions. Why do you think only one came back? How, how do you think Jesus healed them? Why did Jesus heal them? Um, why did, you know, just probe them and ask them those questions. Be, you know, tap into their imaginations. Mm-hmm. And, and then after that, spend time in prayer with your kids. Hey, what do you want to thank God for today, son? What do you want to... What do you want to ask God for today, daughter? And then you spend time praying with your kids. It doesn't have to be long, exhausted prayers, but pray short, meaningful, heartfelt prayers. Excited prayers. And and teach your children how to pray. Um, Teach your children, like, hey, we're going to spend 30 seconds just being quiet. Um, and while, while we were quiet, mommy and daddy, we're going to, we're going to just listen and ask God to teach us. So I would say, man, you can start off like the seasons one, that's easy. You're, you're already doing that to a certain degree and it's going to be, mm-hmm. you're going to be given more reasons to, to do that as we observe the calendar. Um, but you're already doing, you probably got one of those little advent calendars with the little chocolates behind the doors. You probably, you're doing that stuff already. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I would say solitude is probably gonna be the hardest one to, to roll out self-denial. Um, maybe for you. Maybe the self denial is like, hey, we are not going to watch that show today, um, and we're going to spend time. Oh, uh, have books. you been watching Ted Lasso, the TV show? No. Oh, we'll talk about that for the yeah, podcast. Well, never, I'm so sorry. Keep never going. Heard of that, dude. Um, oh. But I would say baby steps in that in that direction. Um, I don't know if I should say it now, but what we're the Bible reading plan that we're going to be utilizing I'll save that for Sunday. Yeah, but okay. we're going to be giving we're going to be pointing our church to use one singular resource for a Bible reading plan and it's so it, it's really e- easy. Mm-hmm. It's really really good. It's got an app and it's got an app oh. and it's got great videos that are my kids love to watch these videos. Um so I would, I would say take small steps in that direction. If you're struggling to do that, take small steps in that direction. Um you know right now like We've got a newborn, and so me waking up before the kids right now is kind of impossible. Um, it's impossible for Tracy right now because she wakes up whenever Abel wakes up right now just because he has to be fed so frequently. Um, so what Tracy does is she sits down at the table with our kids and reads – what are they going through right now? Psalm 34, I think is what they're going through right now. Um, so she just reads that psalm in the mornings to them. Whenever I'm driving Lydia to preschool, I'm asking questions or I'll put a hymn on Mm -hmm. or we'll talk about, you know, what do you think God's going to do today at school? What do you thank God for today on the way home from from picking her up from preschool? So just take baby steps in that right direction. That that Eugene Peterson quote of long obedience in the same direction. Great vision. Start off. You don't have to start. You don't have to read all of Romans in one day. Just take little chunks, little paragraphs even. Maybe you just look at a couple of verses from the Psalms and you sing those Psalms, you pray those Psalms, you read those Psalms with your kids. So just start off there and chart out a a path for you to grow and for you to um, dedicate more time to it maybe. And also we have some really godly parents 
that have a lot of kids in our church, and they would be good resources to ask, Yeah, hey, how do you do this with your kids? If you're a young parent and you're asking this question, we've got some really godly parents. We've got people who, we've got really godly grandparents in our church, and they would be great to ask questions. And maybe even ask the question, what do you wish you did when your kids were were toddlers? Uh, we should do a podcast like that. That would be good. But we've we have amazing people in our church that the Lord has gifted our church with, and they are great resources. Um, so if, if you're, even if you're, your kids are older and you're asking this question right now, ask your peers, um, Hey, what are you doing right now? There's no shame in, in asking this question. There's no shame in saying, I'm struggling to hold it together right now. How do I, how do I implement this with my kids? Um, and also with us reopening roots, we're going to be providing families with a resource that can easily be used in implementing the spiritual practices in your family in a, in a very um, consistent and singular fashion. Um, so we're going to be, we're not going to throw you in the water and say, hey, it's time to build a boat and then we want you to get from point A to point B. We're going to provide yeah, you yeah. with, we're going to provide our church family with a boat, with oars, with sails, mm-hmm. um, and we're do everything besides row the boat for you. Everything, because we can't row your boat. You've got to row, row, row your boat. That's going to be the title of this episode. <laughs> um, it, you know, the the person who wrote this question said, "I have enough trouble taking care of myself, let alone those I'm responsible for." Um, I would say, don't think of those as two separate disciplines. Mm, integrating good. the spiritual practices into your life and integrating them into your family's life they're they're the same thing. As we say all the time at this church. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. Those two don't need to be bifurcated. Um, James K.A. Smith, and this is my favorite book on the spiritual disciplines. And um, in his book, You Are What You Love, he talks about his his failure to, to eat healthy. So essentially what, what happens, um, this is a great example, but what, what happens is somebody introduces K.A. Smith to Wendell Berry and he ends up... <laughs> He ends up he ends up getting a book from Barry about farm to table food. I don't care about any of that stuff. I like his fiction. Yeah. So I don't care whether you eat farm to table or not. Obviously, I outed myself last week by being a fast food guy. Yeah. That needs to change. I get it. Whatever. Don't let this distract for you. But he talks about how K.A. Smith talks about how he would enthusiastically read Barry's book and like underline it and star it and say amen as he read it. And one day while he was reading the book, it struck him. He was amening it. He was underlining it. He was starring it, this book on farm to table food, at the exact same time that he was sitting at Costco eating a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, isn't that a great image? That's just good. He's at Costco eating a hot dog with a farm to table book. <laughs> and he says, the wallpaper didn't match the picture. Mm-hmm. And so he goes on to say that the practice, the spiritual practices are communal in nature, Mm -hmm. not individual. Here's his quote. He says, the rehabituation process is a communal endeavor precisely because truly formative practices are communal. The basis for the rehabituation of my hungers had to be a promise my wife and I made to each other, not something I did individually. I needed her encouragement. I needed her partnership in new rhythms. I needed her accountability. And so we would commit together to new rituals of eating and exercise. We would partner together in cooking and cleanup, and we would even endeavor, or sorry, endure evenings of growling bellies and frustrated sweet tooths together. <laughs> Quote, this communal aspect of rehabituation cannot be overemphasized. Mm-hmm. End quote. Yeah, and I mean, that's like our our preaching team. Whenever they are preparing a sermon or preaching a sermon, it's not viewed as this is for you guys. So, like the the preacher mm-hmm. in his devotion and study of the scriptures, he's not like this is for the church, but it's for me because I'm a part of, a part of the church. Like, there's not this separation, and so we very much view. Um, Sunday mornings as it's not Joseph up there performing for you. Uh, Joseph is worshiping as through music, as he's leading you to worship through music. The preacher is leading you to worship through hearing the sermon as he's worshiping through preaching the sermon. Yeah. Like spiritual gymnasium. Yeah. That's what church is. Exactly. I'm not bench pressing for you guys. No, We're all bench pressing together. We're all doing the heavy lifting. There's no bench in the church. Everybody's on the field. That's right. That's right. We, 
and I, I think that a quote that he that you just pulled from from Kay Smith is really important because if you are not doing this communally, it's not going to happen. It's not, it's not going to happen if you're not around other Christians, and if you're not a part of a community that are reading the scriptures, you're gonna. If you do read the scriptures, it's going to be in isolation, and it's not going to reach its full potency in your life. Mm-hmm. So we've got to all do this together and be committed to this together. We, As the pastoral team, we said if we can't all commit ourselves to this, we're not rolling it out to the church. Yeah, yeah. If we if we can't implement this in our own mm-hmm. life, why are we going to lead our church to do this? Yeah, it's kind of, a, it's kind of Calvin's vision for Geneva. Like, Frontier's kind of like little Geneva. Like, and this was a different time. Um, but but Calvin had so successfully pastored Geneva that the entire town prayed the same morning prayer, the same noon prayer, and the same evening prayer every day. Like, how cool would it be to go up to anybody in the entire town and be like, hey, what'd you think of that morning prayer? What, what did God tell you? Like, can you imagine the natural God conversations you would have? And yes. so if we're implementing, for instance... Um, Saturdays in the Spirit for solitude, or a Bible reading plan for our church. Frontier's kind of like Little Geneva. Mm-hmm. Like you can walk up, you should be able to walk up to anybody in Frontier and be like, "What'd you think about that Psalm that we read on Wednesday? Mm-hmm. How cool would that be?" Yeah, you're coming into a community group and a fighter group and to Sunday gathering hot. Yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. going to get be able to get past the small talk. That's right. I'm ex- that's, that's one right. one reason I'm excited about implementing these things. So I, I like that question a lot. Um, what do disciplines look like as a family? I have enough trouble taking care of myself, let alone those I'm responsible for. To get what we're saying at, let me rephrase the question. So imagine the person had asked the question this way. What does dinner look like as a family? I have enough trouble feeding myself, let alone those, those I'm responsible for. Oh, I would say eat together as a family then. Mm-hmm. That's what we're saying. Yeah. So don't beat yourself up about it too much. Yeah, for real. Yeah, we probably need to talk about that a little bit more too in the future. Yeah. Um, we're over an hour right now. You got any any punches you want to throw, any last comments, quotes, or anything like that? I'm just like a fire hose of literature yeah. over here, dude. <laughs> I know. I've been studying this stuff forever. <laughs> I know. Okay. Well, last time we talked about this before I went on paternity leave, like you just like started to draw some stuff out, literally draw some stuff out, and then I come back to graphics and <laughs> – should show them the early ebook and all yeah. sorts of stuff. So yeah, you, I I'm. It's been cool for me just to see your excitement over, over um, our church stepping into this new season of uh, of practicing the, these things together. So yeah, man, I I think the only thing I have left to say is um, I my prayer for our church family is that we would we would see the great value in doing this and that we would see ourselves as we're on the same team. And so, um, this is, practicing these things and devoting ourselves to this, this is not going to make anybody else more so of a rock star than anyone else. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to be conformed into the meek and lowly and kind mm-hmm. and loving image of Jesus. That's why we're doing this. It's not so we can brag to other pastors that we know, hey, look what we're getting our church to do. You guys don't even do small groups, and we're getting our people to do these practices. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, not why yeah, we're doing this. No. We, we feel convinced and convicted by the Spirit that practicing these things is going to make our church more joyful, mm-hmm. more obedient, more loving, more missional. That's why we're doing this. That's right, dude. That's right. So, yeah, we we hope that we hope that this podcast and this sermon series helps you make the connections between our goal to be the city's most joyful church. Mm-hmm. These are not two separate things. This no. is a means for that to happen. Yes. So, guys, whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, whether you worship at Frontier Church or not, we hope that this podcast helps you love your local church more mm-hmm. and helps you worship local. Love you guys.